what does it mean to live a life of gratitude? And how do we live a life of gratitude when we live in a world where everything is at our fingertips? Well, we are going to be talking all about gratitude in today's episode of Real Talk. Let's go. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Real Talk with Kane Adams. I'm your host, Kane Adams, and we are going to be talking about gratitude today. Uh, It's one of my, well, it's a topic that I'm passionate about, and I'm really passionate about it because it's something that I suppose I've applied to my own life, which I've seen the power in it. Uh, And I think gratitude is one of those things where a lot of people probably know about it, and, and they they hear about it or know about it. But uh, I think a lot of people also struggle to be able to practice it. In other words, it's one thing to know about gratitude. It's another thing to practice it. Uh, And so we're going to be looking through gratitude today. What does it mean uh, to be grateful? What does gratitude mean? Um, But also, what are some practical ways that we can practice gratitude and to implement it into our everyday lives so that we can practice it consistently? Okay, so let's get into it. Gratitude. What is gratitude? Well, I don't normally do this, but I did this for today's episode, is that I looked up a dictionary definition uh, of what gratitude is. And the dictionary says that gratitude is a deep appreciation of kindness or benefits received. Gratitude is a deep appreciation of kindness or benefits received. I really like that, and I want to expand on that. Uh, And so I've written this down to expand on it a little bit more of what that really means. And I want you to think about this. Gratitude is the expression of thanksgiving for something that you have, something that has been given to you, or something that has been done for you when most likely either you didn't deserve it or you were unable to achieve it in your own strength. Uh, So in other words, gratitude is being thankful for things that have been done for you that you didn't deserve or or things that uh, have happened to your life or the benefits that you've been able to enjoy and receive in your life that have not been due to your own doing or not been due to, or can't be accredited to your own works, in other words. It's kindness and benefits that you are enjoying and being thankful for uh, that you either didn't deserve or you couldn't do on your own. Because gratitude is being thankful for things that we didn't deserve or for things that have happened to us that we couldn't do in our own strength or achieve in our own strength, uh, what it does is it gives us a glimpse into our humanity. And I think that's why gratitude is so powerful, because it reminds us that we're finite beings, that we are flawed, that we are sinful, that we have weaknesses, that we're imperfect, uh, and that nobody's perfect. And, you know, I'm even reminded of um, in the trailer for this show, when, when I did the trailer for this podcast, I said right at the beginning of the trailer, uh, that C.S. Lewis quote, that uh, it's time to take off all of the fancy dress that we've got ourselves caught up in, strutting around like the little idiots that we are. Uh, because what happens is when we're grateful and we're reminded of our humanity and we're reminded that we're imperfect, uh, it brings not despair, it brings a massive sense of relief. Relief that we don't have to prove anything. Relief that all of us are in the same boat, that all of us are flawed, that all of us have sin, that all of us are imperfect humans. Uh, and I think when we remind ourselves of that, uh, which gratitude absolutely helps us to remind ourselves of that, that we are met with tremendous relief. Um Ultimately, really, gratitude humbles you. And I think that's where its power is. Uh, The power of gratitude isn't so much just about being thankful, but it's the fact that it humbles you. Uh, And it slices your ego. (laughs) Uh, In other words, pride and gratitude cannot coexist. Uh, They don't go together. 
You can't be proud and you can't be grateful at the same time because gratitude ultimately humbles you. And so I suppose in a way, uh, gratitude is a glimpse into the gospel as well because that's the, that's the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that even though you deserved hell and death because of the sin on your life and because of the flaws and because you were not able to fulfill the law, you know, in the Old Testament and, uh, and you were stained with the sin virus right from Adam and Eve, um, but God loved you far too much to keep you in that place. Therefore, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to take, his, uh, to take your sin upon himself so that you would be spared. Uh, and that's grace and that's mercy and that's the story of the gospel. And I think in a way, like, that's the ultimate gratitude story because it's receiving something that we didn't deserve. And we'll, we'll go into that later on in the episode. So that's what gratitude is. It's being grateful. Well, it's expressing thanksgiving for the things that we didn't deserve uh, and appreciating what has happened to us that we could not achieve in our own strength. That's what gratitude is. So how do we practice it? Uh, because I mentioned before, it's one of those things where gratitude is, you, you can understand it, and it's, and perhaps you, you know what it is to be feeling grateful for something, and you know what gratitude is kind of in a roundabout way, but it can be very difficult to practice gratitude, or how do we actually practice gratitude? So I'm going to give you five steps, five keys um, on how to practice gratitude, and hopefully this will help. So let's go through them one by one. The first one, the first step to practicing gratitude is to choose to be grateful, okay? Step number one, choose to be grateful. Something to note is that gratitude is not just a feeling. And I think a lot of us can boil it down to just that, or we know what it feels like to be grateful, and we think in terms of gratitude of something that we feel. Um, But gratitude is not just feeling thankful. Gratitude is choosing to be thankful despite how you were feeling. And there's a big difference in that. Um, Think about it kind of like marriage. Uh, if you were to base your marriage or anchor your marriage on the feeling of love, so on on the the overall feeling inside, the warm fuzzies, the glitter of marriage, the the feeling of love, if you were to anchor your marriage on that, then you are in for a rough ride, and the, the whole thing's going to fall apart eventually. Why? Because feelings come and go. Because when you get, and I'm sure a lot of married couples will understand this, that when you are together for, you know, eight, three years, 10 years, 15 years, however long, that there are a lot of times when you don't feel all those lovey-dovey feelings towards each other. Uh, and so what happens if those feelings of love go away and you anchored your marriage on that? Well, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And so love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice that you, that you declare at the altar when you're saying your vows, that you choose to love them despite how you were feeling. Uh, and when you do that, then you come to understand a, a deeper love or true love of what it truly means to be in love with someone, not just being in love, but to actually, uh, in terms of feelings, but actually to understand what love is and to put somebody else before your needs and before yourself in a way that is that is true love. And that's rooted in choice, not rooted in feelings. And the same is with gratitude, is that gratitude needs to be rooted in choice, not rooted in feelings. Because it's going to be hard to be grateful in times of suffering. And I think we all know what that feels like. When we're going through circumstances that are increasingly difficult in our lives, it can be very difficult to be thankful and very difficult to be grateful. But here's a little uh, secret. Well, what I, I suppose it's an interest point more than anything, is that even though it can be difficult to be grateful during times of suffering in your life, it's even harder, it is much harder 
to be grateful when you're going through seasons of joy in your life or when things are going well in your life. Because what happens is we can be unbelievably tempted to accredit that joy or accredit that peace uh, to ourselves and to our own doing. And when we do that, then we can't be grateful uh, because we've let our ego get in the way and because we've let pride get in the way. Uh, and we're accrediting it, accrediting it to ourselves. Therefore, who, do, who are we to be thankful for? Who are we to be grateful towards? Uh, which is a dangerous road to play uh, or to go on. And so it's about remembering that in times of suffering uh, and in times of joy and peace, whatever season you are going in life, to always be grateful. And that grateful is a choice. Uh, and as we choose to be grateful, then you'll find that those feelings of gratitude will follow. Okay, so that's first point. Choose to be grateful. Choose to be grateful. Point number two, detach yourself from comparison. Detach yourself from comparison. I think a lot of us have probably heard the quote from um, Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, comparison is the biggest thief of joy. And it's true. It's, it's unbelievably true is that um, comparison sucks the joy out of your life. Uh, and the same can be about, could, could be said about gratitude as well. That, that uh, comparison is the biggest thief of gratitude. So what happens is when we focus on others, our eyes and our hearts become drawn to what we don't have opposed to what we do have. And so instead of appreciating everything that we do have, we end up endlessly pining for what we don't have. Uh, and so the minute that you start to compare your life to other people, gratitude goes out the window. Uh, and it's even harder I mean, uh, in, in today's society, in, in terms of the Western world that we live in today, because what we are subject to or what we are exposed to is only the highlights of everybody's life. And so that makes it even worse because, you know, with Instagram or social media or, or, or whatever, we can look at people's lives and because they're only presenting the highlights of their lives, because they're only presenting the good parts of their lives, uh, we can start to think that we are of lesser value and we are of... Uh, that we are broken people, uh, which we are, um, but because we measure ourselves compared to that, which is, well, let's, let's put it this way. We see on Instagram, for example, the highlights of people's lives. And because they're not presenting any weaknesses, because they're not presenting any flaws, we could subconsciously think that that is all that there is to their lives and that, that that's the whole story, even though we know that it's not. Because a lot of us know that it's not. We all know that it's not. But because we're only being subject to the highlights of people's lives, I think our brains are wired to think that that's the whole story subconsciously. And so when we look at that and we look at our own lives, we can see two star a, a stark contrast, two very different lives, because we see only good on this side of looking at those pictures on Instagram. And then we look at our lives and we can see all the good and all the bad as well. And so we're measuring our lives up to this false ideal that does not exist and could not exist, um, which is a dangerous game to play. And so we find ourselves, gratitude just gets sucked out the window. And we end up wishing our lives away um, and, and comparing our lives to, to other people. So... The danger of that, of course, is that you don't know what's going on in people's lives. Um, for example, you might have the couple that, say, a newlywed couple, young couple, taking a selfie on top of the Grand Canyon with the caption, you know, living such a blessed life or living the best life or whatever it is. Uh, and you might look at that and think, oh, wow, you know, I wish I had a life like that. But, of course, you don't know what's going on. You don't know about the 45-minute argument they had in the car on the way down, causing them to not talk to each other for an hour. You don't know about that. 
You don't know about the, the, the struggles that they're facing early on in marriage that they should have ironed out before they got married. I mean, you just don't know, right? Or, or maybe you might be at a traffic light and you might park next to a, a guy in a Ferrari, for example, you know, and he, and, and you could look at him and think, wow, what an incredible life he must have to be driving a Ferrari and he must have all this money and, and, and man, I wish I had a life like that. But you don't know what's going on in his life. You don't know what he's thinking. For all we know, he could be unbelievably tempted to drive his car and wrap it around the next power pole that he sees because he's up to his eyeballs in debt and because his wife has just left him and because he's clinically depressed. You don't know that. And so that's the problem, I suppose, is that when people just present the highlights of their lives, we don't know what's really going on. We're only seeing just a small sliver of the surface of their lives. And when we start to compare ourselves to that, it's impossible uh, it's draining, it's exhausting, it's counterproductive, and it's destructive. Uh, and so you don't want to do that. What happens, like I mentioned before, is that we can end up wishing our lives away. And it's important to think about the future, but you don't want to live there. And that's, I think that's a big mistake that people make, either whether it's thinking too much of the future or the same could be said about the past. You know, you want to remember the past and remember the lessons from the past, but you don't want to live there. You're living in the present right now, and so we need to be good stewards of the present. What are you doing with the present? Um, and so, so you don't want to wish your life away. Okay, so number one, choose to be grateful. Number two, detach yourself from comparison. Okay, number three. This one's just a little one which I thought um, could be helpful, and it's helpful for me. So number three is remember your childhood passions. Remember your childhood passions. Uh, focus on the small things in your life that bring you joy and have brought you joy since you were a child. When I was young, probably around uh, seven or eight years old, I became very passionate about bird watching, um, uh, particularly birds in New Zealand. And my parents had bought me some bird books. And so I started reading through them and, and very quickly I became very passionate and interested in birds. And so I used to go on big walks, you know, um, uh, uh, forest walks and, and where there was some open sanctuaries and, and do some bird watching and, and see how many birds that I could find. And in fact, I even, you know, started kind of like a list of, um, uh, of birds that I could, I, I could see and tick off the list, you know. And so when I got to probably the age of around 11, 12, 13, when you're starting to, to be self-conscious about who you are and you're in kind of middle school and, and, um, uh, and, and, you're making friends and you start to compare and things like that. Uh, bird watching very quickly for me went out the window because it's not cool to be a bird watcher. Bird watching is not a cool sport to engage in. Uh, and so, so I became, became interested in the things that my friends were interested in, like music and, uh, and, and arts and things like that. And, um, which I'm also grateful for because obviously music is a big part of my job today, but, but, um, but I started to become interested in things for different reasons than just because I was interested in them, but rather to, uh, to, to fit in with my friends or to fit in with this, with the class classroom or with, with, um, society as I knew it at the time. And it wasn't until my, probably my mid twenties actually. So we're looking at a good, I don't know, 12, 13 years later that, uh, that I opened up one of the bird books again and just became really passionate about it and just loved it. And so now quite regularly I go on walks um, and, and spot birds and I've got my list uh, of New Zealand birds that I'm ticking off. Uh, and so the point that I, the reason why I say that is because you want to find those passions that give you joy 
for the sake of just giving you joy. Because I find, for me anyway, that uh, it unlocks gratitude in your life. Uh, for example, with birds, I'm not interested in it because my friends are interested. I'm not interested because of trying to fit in with society or trying to fit in with my friends or, or, or trying to be on the, the recent trends or anything like that. The reason why I enjoy bird watching is because I enjoy bird watching. <laughs> I enjoy it because I enjoy it. I'm interested in it because I'm interested in it. And there's no other reason. And I think the power in that is, is that you realize that there's nothing that you need to prove to anyone, that you're not doing it in order to prove anything. You're doing it simply because you enjoy it. And when you do it simply because you enjoy it, I think it just, it, for me anyway, it unlocks gratitude in your life, that you're able to be humbled and to be grateful for the small things in life, um, for the things that give you joy just because they give you joy. And so I think it's important that we find those childhood passions. And the reason why I say childhood passions is because when you're a child and you're interested in something, because you, you're not self-conscious nor self-aware at that point, um, to the extent that you would be when you're a teenager, uh, is that you can find interests and you can find joys and you enjoy them because you just enjoy them. You, you don't have any pressure. There's no pressure when you're a child to have to fit in or, or anything like that. There's no pressure. And so you can just enjoy things for the sake of enjoying them. So what you want to do is find those things, find those interests, find those passions and reconnect with them. And 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 when you reconnect with the passions that you enjoy just for the sake of enjoying them, then you'll find that gratitude will make its way back into your life. Okay, so that's that's the third point, uh, is to um, remember your childhood passions. Okay, so number one, choose to be grateful. Number two, detach yourself from comparison. Number three, remember your childhood passions. And now number four, which is uh, a really important one when it comes to gratitude, and that is to remember your suffering. Number four, remember your suffering. In order to be properly grateful, you need to have an understanding of what it's like to be suffering or what it's like to be deprived of something. Why? Because if you don't have an ex any experience in suffering, then you will start to believe that the normal state of life's affairs is that everything just works. Is that everything just works for you, which of course we know is not true. Um, if you're fed the silver spoon your entire life, you're just going to expect that that silver spoon will always be there. Uh, and when you and when that silver spoon is not there, it's very difficult to be grateful. So, or if that silver spoon is taken away, I should say. So, a classic example of this, I can't remember who said this, it was a comedian. I can't remember who it was, but he was talking about airplanes. And he was joking about how an airplane is like this giant tube of metal that is hurtling through the air at a thousand kilometers an hour, where 99.9% .9 of the time it successfully takes off and successfully lands. And, and none of us bat an eyelid about it. In fact, <laughs> in fact, instead, we find ourselves complaining if the Wi-Fi is not working on the plane, you know? And so we're sitting in this tube that's hurtling at a thousand kilometers per hour. Uh, that is unbelievable that that's even, that, that even happens and that even works. Uh, and yet here we are sitting complaining about the Wi-Fi not working, uh, which is humorous, but it's true. When we become so accustomed to these things, uh, then we just assume that they just always work and that just life just always works. And what happens is uh, life becomes unbelievably comfortable. And I think this has just been one of the 
most dangerous things about them, the Western, modern Western society that we live in today is that life has become unbelievably comfortable and we've designed it that way so that we wouldn't have to suffer. But the problem is, with that is that uh, there's this amazing, incredible sense of entitlement that has just invaded uh, our society and invaded every generation. And it just gets worse and worse and worse with every generation that comes across it because we just think that the normal state of life affairs is that everything just works. And so if it doesn't work, we melt down. And this is why I think a lot of people have different capacities when it comes to crisis. And you've probably noticed that. It's interesting when you when you see someone who we would deem entitled have an absolute meltdown at, a minor, at what we would deem a minor inconvenience. So something happens in their life that's quite minor or quite trivial and they have an absolute meltdown of, uh, about it. And then on the other side, you have someone who we know perhaps has been through absolute hell in their life and they've experienced so much suffering in their life and and when something big happens that they're able to navigate it through with with such clarity and with such poise and 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 such strength and resilience and steadfastness and we think wow that's incredible that considering everything that they've gone through in their life that this major thing that they're experiencing which the majority of people would melt down over that they're actually navigating it through incredibly strongly and incredibly well why is that well it comes back to um, to experience and, and, and suffering. And someone who is entitled hasn't got anything that they can measure their suffering to. So, for example, you might have someone who, um, well, well, let's put it this way. I'm just reminded right now of um, on this episode of Dr. Phil, there was this girl, this is years ago, uh, and you might have seen it, and she was living with her mother. She was probably, I don't know, 16 or 17 years old and lived with her mother her whole life. Uh, and her mother just absolutely spoiled her, rotten, um, gave her everything that she wanted to the point that this girl was not responsible for her life whatsoever. And uh, and she ended up being unbelievably rebellious and and uh, being you know against her mum uh, and, and being a rebel, um, which really is just insecurity, I think, because... Um, because her mother gave her everything that she wanted. She was basically in control of her lo- own life and got what she wanted, so there was no rock of security there. But that's another, that's another message. Anyway, uh, and, so, and so, um, so Dr. Phil, he, he suggested that she get a job, and she absolutely melted down over it, absolutely melted down, because a job would be hard work, and everyone in the audience laughed. And you laugh, but, th- but it's interesting because she says – something like, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And the truth is, is that it really is the worst thing that has happened to her. It really is. Because she hasn't had to suffer in her life when something like this, a small inconvenience, which we would deem a small inconvenience, is actually massive for her. And it's the biggest thing that's actually ever happened to her life. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened, which is why she's treating it as if She's just gone through a divorce or as if a family member has just died because she's never experienced that. And this is why we have a different capacity when it comes to crisis, is that if we haven't experienced suffering, we've got nothing that we can measure our own suffering to, whereas someone who has experienced a a large amount of suffering in their life, when they go through a massive trial in their life or event, they can measure it to, to that suffering that they've experienced and they know that they've made it through that suffering alive. And so because they've made it through this event alive, they can make it through this event alive as well. So, so what happens is 
uh, when we face hardships in life, with every hardship that we face, we become incredibly, incredibly resilient. Uh, let's put it this way, and I've written this down because I quite like this, and this is a good way to think about it. When we know how bad it can get, the good times taste sweet. But when we don't know how bad it can get, even the good times can taste bitter. Think about that. When we know how bad it can get, the good times taste sweet. But when we don't know how bad it can get, even the good times can taste bitter. Because we've got nothing to measure against with our suffering. And so this is why uh, people have um, this is why people have different capacities. Um, great. And I guess actually just before I go into the onto the final point. I think something to be grateful for as well is the gift of opportunity is that particularly if you're going through a season or or, or a place of suffering right now is that uh, you always have the opportunity to make life better. You always have the opportunity to make things better. And that opportunity is always there. You know, the Bible talks about it, that um, joy comes in the morning, you know, that darkness is at night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's always an opportunity. There's always hope. There's always a chance to make life better. Uh, and so that is something in itself that we can be grateful for. Okay. Uh, and then the final point. So number one, choose to be grateful. Number two, detach yourself from comparison. Number three, remember your childhood passions. Number four, remember your suffering. And then the final point, which is the most important point, which is why I kept it at the end, is to remember the giver. Remember the giver. And the Bible talks a lot about gratitude, a lot about gratitude. And so I want to open with the scripture here from Colossians 3, verse 15 to 17. And it says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I love that. And I think that encapsulates gratitude quite, quite amazingly, is that even if you have, <clears throat> even if you have nothing to be grateful for <laughs> as a Christian, you have the ultimate gratitude, that, the ultimate thing that you can be grateful for, which is salvation. And that's the story of the gospel, like I mentioned before, that gratitude is going right back to the beginning. Gratitude is to be thankful for receiving the benefits and the kindness and the things that you didn't deserve um, and things that you couldn't do in your own strength. And this is the gospel story, is that you were bound for hell because of the sin and the, and the flaws and the weaknesses in your life. Uh, and because of that, you were, like I said, you were bound to hell and bound to destruction, but God loved you too much to keep you in that place. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you so that, and, and bear the weight of your sin upon himself and to pay that price and pay that debt because someone had to pay it uh, so that you would have eternal life, so that you would be blessed and be reconciled back to the Father. And that is the ultimate thing to be grateful for. And I suppose the reason why I say that is because here's the secret when it comes to gratitude is that when you anchor yourself in the gospel, when you anchor yourself in the ultimate thing to be grateful for, which is your salvation, then every other gratitude will flow and follow in your life. And so you want to treat the gospel as your anchor point when it comes to gratitude, is to be grateful because it brings ultimate humility as well because there is nothing more, uh, uh, um, 
in, in receiving, well, in seeing yourself as a human and seeing yourself as imperfect, there's nothing more than the story of the gospel that'll do that for you. <laughs> Is that when you understand the gospel, you understand how imperfect you are, how flawed you are, how sinful you are, how uh, much of a human and a finite being that you are, and it humbles you to the core. But it's also unbelievable relief knowing that your sin has been paid, knowing that your your debt has been wiped, and that uh, God loves you so much that he would never leave you in that position. And so when you anchor yourself in the gospel and use that as your your starting point, your foundation point for your gratitude in your life, then you'll find that everything else will start to follow when it comes to gratitude. Okay? I really hope that, that, that this episode has helped you. Um, when it comes again to practicing gratitude, remember that it's a choice. It's a choice that you choose. Uh, and as you make that choice, you'll find that the feeling will follow. Uh, and so gratitude, being thankful for everything that we have already. Don't strive for trying to fill your life up with what you don't have, but instead spend your energy and spend your time being appreciative and thankful for what you already have in your life. Okay, thanks so much for tuning in. And we will see you next time on Real Talk with Kane Adams.